This month's podcasts are sponsored by Aubergine Legal. Do you sometimes worry that your business isn't meeting all its legal compliance requirements and wonder if you're ticking all the legal boxes? Are you losing sleep worrying about a piece of legislation that you may or may not be complying with? Perhaps you need some help with your client contracts or your data protection compliance. Or maybe you're worried that your website doesn't have the right documents or legal notices in the right place. Perhaps you have a brand that you want to protect with a trademark. How about if you could outsource it all and eliminate all of your worries? If so, then get in touch with Aubergine Legal, a friendly commercial legal consultancy offering practical and clear commercial legal advice without the overwhelming legal jargon, taking the worry away and helping you to protect your business and minimise your risks. Aubergine offers a free 30-minute consultation if you have any questions or want to find out if they can help. And you can access this link and book your free 30-minute call via the link in the show notes. Welcome to the Bring Your Product Idea to Life podcast. This is the podcast for you if you're getting started selling products or if you'd like to create your own product to sell. I'm Vicky Weinberg, a product creation coach and Amazon expert. Every week I share friendly, practical advice as well as inspirational stories from small businesses. Let's get started. So today on the podcast, I'm speaking to Stephanie from Bibini Dolls. So Stephanie creates early years soft diversity dolls, which help to encourage learning through play and positive representation. I came across Stephanie online, loved her products and invited her onto the podcast. I was so glad she joined me. We just had a fantastic conversation. Um, I was actually really surprised because before speaking to Stephanie, I didn't realise how new her business was. And when she talks to you about how much she's done um, in the last few months, I think you're going to be at some as I was so it was a really as I say it was a really great conversation Stephanie has such a clear vision she's so passionate she talks a lot about the inspiration for her dolls uh, the process of creating them and I think there is so much that we all can learn from this so I would love now to introduce you to Stephanie so hi Stephanie thank you so much for being here hi Vicky can you start by giving introduction to yourself your business and what you sell please yeah, of course. So my name is Stephanie uh, Mensah. Um, I'm 44, mum of two. Um, I currently reside in London, so I'm in South London at the moment. My background is in project management, so IT procurement um, management. Um, nothing uh, related to what I do, but uh, that's uh, that's what I currently do at the moment. Um, in terms of my business, I currently um, make early years diversity soft plush dolls. Um, the reason why I started the business um, is three years ago, I had my, my two children um, and the nursery that both of my children go to um, doesn't have much diversity within the nursery when it comes to their toys. And I thought it was very important that this be something that they have exposure to, especially since myself, obviously growing up in the 70s and 80s, there wasn't anything like that out there. Um, And I really wanted my children to have the opportunity to have that representation. Um, So that's that's really the background as to why I kickstarted the business. That's amazing. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing. So for anyone who hasn't yet looked at your website, which of course we'll link in the show notes, everyone can go across and have a look. But if anyone who hasn't looked or maybe driving can't look right now, can you just um, tell us a bit about your dolls, some of the dolls in your range, what they look like? Just describe them for us. 
Yeah, cool. So um, we have a few series in terms of the dolls. So we launched with the Mabel doll, uh, Mabel doll series, and that consists of four dolls um, who all have uh, four different outfits. Um, the story behind Mabel is actually they're named after my late mum. So originally I'm from Ghana in West Africa. Um, and I thought it was really important to have dolls that represent a cultural influence as well. So two of the dolls wear um, one, um, one fabric, which is called kente, which is normally worn by um, royalty in Ghana. So it very much linked into or synced into the whole of the idea of being a princess, a kind of like a, a Ghanaian princess. Uh, and then the other fabric is Ankara, which is commonly worn in West Africa as well. Um, and then growing up, I've always been into fairy tales. So I've always loved unicorns. I thought, well, why don't we do a unicorn doll as well? Um, and then we also have um, another doll which uh, wears hearts. So that's the Mabel doll series. Um, and then obviously having my son, um, I realised that there wasn't much um, black or brown uh, boy dolls, especially within the soft doll uh, marketplace. Um, and so I created two um, boy dolls, one which is called Reese and the other one which is called Kojo, which is named after my son. Um, and um, uh, Reese is uh, has a dinosaur um, top because my son is just besotted with dinosaurs. We watched that all day. Um, and then Kojo is wearing a, a tracksuit which says Little King. Um, growing up, his dad really... Um, tries to put a lot of positive affirmations in him to let him know that, you know, when he grows up, he can become anything that he wants to be. So it was important for us to reflect that within a doll. So one of the top says Little King on his tracksuit as well. Um, and then speaking to um, our friends and family and just going out and really doing a lot of market research, we also introduced um, Amira, who is an um, Islamic doll. So she's wearing a hijab um, and it was really based upon the fact that within the black community, obviously there's a, a um, Muslim uh, is a large uh, religion within the black community. There wasn't any dolls that reflected that. Um, and so we thought it'd be great for us to introduce that into the collection um, as well. Um, and then we we actually launched a doll in um, February at the baby show. And a large part of our audience had really said that um, had come from a multicultural background, so a mixed heritage background. And they had also felt that there weren't any dolls that reflected mixed heritage um, children, so it, it would either be Caucasian or um, from Afro-Caribbean um, background. So we created Zara. Um, so Zara and Reese are our two mixed uh, heritage dolls. So that's the collection so far. Um, and then we're hoping to release Sky, who will be our neutral doll. So for either a boy or a girl. That's amazing. Thank you so much for talking us through that because I've obviously been on your website and seen your dolls and they're beautiful, by the way. Thank um, you. And so it's, yeah, I think I thought it was really important for you to explain to people so they can just understand the range of dolls that you have. Um, and thank you for explaining how that's grown as well. Um, we're going to go back a little bit, if that's OK. So, Stephanie, you mentioned that you had your, was it your daughter you had first? My son. Your son first. And then was that what, was that this inspiration for thinking that you wanted to create your dolls? 
Yeah, so we we actually, so um, we had to change nurseries um, uh, about six, seven months ago. Um, and we were really restricted in terms of what nursery we could put him into because his old nursery had closed down um, all of a, uh, you know, quite suddenly. Um, and we had done a settling in day with him. And in that particular nursery that we had uh, gone into, there was only one um, one other uh, black child within the nursery. Um, and immediately all the children there were like, oh, is that your brother? That's your brother. And it was really, really innocent because to them, they had seen another boy with a similar skin tone to the boy who's currently within the nursery. Um, and then when we had a quick look around, we realized that actually, there wasn't much diversity within the nursery. So immediately that's the reason why the children had associated my son with the other uh, little boy that was in the nursery. And so we did some research into it. Um, and we we said, you know, it, for us, it was really important that children from early years, so there's a lot of dolls on the market at the moment, plastic dolls, but they really start from an age group from, I would say, maybe five or six years upwards. But it was nothing that really targeted early years so from birth. Um, and looking into it, we noticed that children really start to grasp um, identification of, you know, where their eyes are, nose are, the colour of their skin, their hair, really from the age of one years old. Um, and this is what we wanted to do to introduce it to families and to also introduce it into childcare facilities. And that's really where the idea uh, was born. So it was from that little comment that that child had made in the nursery that made us just realise that actually this is a common problem. And then when we spoke with quite a few mums and my friends um, who may have moved to slightly more... Um, remote areas, we, we come up with the same thing, that there isn't really much representation there. Um, and also that the children who were not um, of black heritage actually welcomed having dolls of a different color as well. Um, and so that was really um, great to find out as well. Thank you for explaining all that. And I think until I had my own children, I actually didn't notice how early children pick up on these things. I yes. just assumed that little children didn't. And it wasn't yeah. until I had my own that I went, oh, actually, kids pay real attention. Yeah. Um, and, and they notice what people look like and they notice who looks like them and who looks different to them and all of these things. They, they do. And I really assumed that little kids wouldn't and didn't. Yeah, I mean, that there's a common analogy that says, you know, children are blind to colour. And um, I think that, that the correction that people want to say is children don't see race. So there's no such thing as racism when, when you're a child. There's differences, but there's not racism. Um, and in fact, I mean, my son, his best friend is um uh white and he has ginger hair so that's you know and and that's his closest best friend uh, of all um but it's important for us to be able to teach our children the differences so and it's not just skin color I mean it just so happens obviously we've created dolls um that represent the black and brown uh, community but there's lots of other diversity issues out there there's um children with disabilities, there's um, different skin, um, uh, skin 
skin disorders that children may have. Um, you know, there's so many other variances and it's important for us to teach children that to be different um, is, you know, is, is fine um, and to educate them on that so that they don't grow up not having that empathy for people who are different to them. And I think that's for us one of the key messages that we want to really send out there. Absolutely. And then I think there's also probably the side of that it's really nice for a child to have a doll that they feel represents them as well from a really yeah. young age. Because as you yeah. say, I've seen lots of, um, there's definitely more diversity in the plastic kind of dolls aimed at older children. Yes. But yeah, I think until I came across your brand, I don't think I've seen a brand for newborns that that does that. Yeah, that not a lot of people, if, if anything, I, mean, I don't want to put myself on a record, but we've done some market research and it's very limited. There are soft black and brown dolls out there. But again, you know, they're very kind of um, more for presentation. So to look really nice in the nursery. Whereas when we created our dolls, we wanted them to be really durable um, because, you know, if kids are like my daughter, for example, they're going to be tugged dribbled on <laughs> um, they're going to go through it and it was really important that when we created the dolls that we could you know we made sure that they weren't really there for presentation purposes and that a typical one-year-old would be able to use the doll um, and also we made it machine washable as well um, because you know my daughter she'll get Weetabix on her soft dolls you know like literally I'm washing every single day so it was important for us to make sure that we could machine wash it and it was a, a good enough size as well um, so that it could also just be used as not just a doll but a comforter um, so I don't know uh, about you but in in terms of my daughter, so she slept with us for a long time. Um, we still have instances where she comes and sleeps in our bed and she's 14 months old. And so transitioning her from the big bed to her own bed was an ongoing process. And so what we did was we introduced one of the dolls to her so that it became more of a comfort. So that now when we put her into her cot, she's sleeping with one of the dolls. And, you know, when she wakes up, all of a sudden she doesn't feel that she's alone. There's a, a doll next to her to give her that comfort and soothe her back to sleep. So, yeah, it was overall um, uh, a, a process there. But, yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. There isn't a lot on the market at all. And that's one of the reasons why we really want to drive awareness and, and get it into the big uh, stores as well. Yeah, and we'll talk a bit that a bit a bit more about that later, if that's okay. So you've spoken a lot about what your dolls, and I, I can tell so much thought and care has gone into the design of them. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that, please? Because I think it's amazing. You had such a clear vision. You knew what you wanted your dolls to be, and how, and all of this. But how did you go from having that vision and those ideas to actually having your your physical product there? Because that's quite a process. And you've done it all it reasonably quickly as well. Yeah, we did. We did. Um, 
a lot of research. So as you said, you know, we knew what we wanted. Um, I knew, or I guess I could say I knew what I didn't want. So I'd seen what was on the market and I didn't want that. So I wanted to make sure that I had the complete opposite. So we we went on the rampage. We looked at various um, distributors. So I already had a designs in my head. Um, I reached out to a couple of um, illustrators um, who created the designs based upon the ideas that I had. Um, and then from then, I went into various platforms. So I actually reached out to companies who already produced soft plush dolls and I ordered a few in and then I sampled it myself to see the quality of them I washed them several times just to make sure and then based upon that I then reached out to them and said look I would like to customize my own doll is this something that you can do or you something you'd be um, willing to work with us on and a few of them said, no, you know, we only do our own brand dolls. We don't customize. Um, and then I was lucky enough to get two that said that they do. Um, and so we then um, did the designs with the two. One still wasn't quite working out right. And then the second one was just perfect. And so we went with them. Um, so it, it was a bit of, it was a bit of a process. Um, and obviously when they were creating a doll, it's proofing it, sending samples, making sure that we're happy with it. Um, and we went back and forth a few, a few times until we got it to where we wanted it to be. That's brilliant. And yeah, I'm, I feel like you definitely sound like the sort of person who just decides to do something and goes for it. And I mean, there's a lot to be said for that. Yeah, well, I should say it's not my first business um, that I've done. Um, I actually come from a family of, um, I wouldn't call it small businesses. So my mum has you you know ran several small businesses in the past when I was young I'd walk with her door-to-door to houses she would do um you know somebody would buy items from her and then they would lease it from her so I kind of got the sales angle from her um and she'd always said to me you know if you if it's something that you believe in that you're passionate about go for it um if it fails just try again or just change the model um but don't give up, you know, if you've got the idea, see it through as far as you can do. Um, And then, you know, you're going to come across challenges. um, And that's what sometimes the challenges is what allows you to know whether you have an actual good business idea. Um, If it's going too well, sometimes that's a bit of a sign (laughs) but um you know you need to have those obstacles you need to have other people and companies challenging your idea for you to know whether you've made the right decision or not and have you had many challenges out of interest yeah so I've I've had knockbacks so certain platforms that I thought you know would jump at the chance of um this particular product have said no it's not for them they don't feel they have the the marketplace or the audience for it um and I guess you have that inner you know that 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 inner self that says okay well I'm going to show you you know <laughs> look at me in you know two three years time um but then at the same time it's also understanding that your business or your product isn't going to be for everybody 
Um, it may only be for selected stores or selected audience, um, and that's okay. You don't have to create something that appeases everybody or that everybody wants, but you need to create something that a big enough audience will want so obviously you can make some profit and income from it. And I think it was just realizing that because, um, you know, when I had my first few knockbacks, I took it personally, quite personally. Um, and I thought, you know, have I made the right decision here? Should I have changed this? Maybe should I have done um dolls that reflect all races instead of just doing black and brown dolls so you really start to question your idea and your motive um and then it's just kind of sitting back and reflecting on why you did it um what you're trying to achieve what your goal is and then really stay in the course and I think you're right as well that your products or nobody's products will be for everyone um and it's but I think that's sometimes a hard thing to realize even though you do you I think most of us know that but I think your first real reminder of that can be a bit of a, feel like a bit of a setback. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, we do pop-ups as well. Um, so we've recently started doing like little pop-ups, market stalls. And again, you're not going to get, it's not going to be for everyone. But then when you do, like I could do a pop-up, maybe it might be quiet for the first few hours. And then I'll get this little girl running up to the store and she's like, mommy, daddy, look this doll. I really, really want it. And then just that look alone just reinforces I know I'm doing the right thing. And then it just pushes you to continue what you're doing. Um, because I know I made her day. So I know she walked away that day, not expecting to see our dolls, saw it, fell in love with it. And now that's her best friend. And for me, that's an achievement. That's lovely. <laughs> and let's talk a little bit about stockists, if that's okay, Stephanie. So is finding places to stock your dolls, was that always part of your plan? Yes. So when I created this, um, I always knew that I wanted to do B2B sales, um, so business to business. Um, again, I do want to obviously maintain the, the business to consumer side. Obviously, that's where the passion comes into it. Um, but the my business plan was always in order for me to create that awareness and to reach a wide marketplace, um, I felt that the products would be suited to uh, businesses and it could be either a boutique business or it could be more mainstream business um, to allow them to have the dolls within their facility so that it could reach their audience as well. Um, so that was always on my uh, agenda. And how have you gone about finding stockists? Um, good old internet. <laughs> Um, I mean, back in the day, it was Yellow Pages, but we won't go there. Um, but yeah, the, the good, the good old internet um, and uh, Instagram has been a great um, aid. Uh, pin, uh, Pinterest, I, I never think I'm saying it right. Um, and it was just looking at each. Um, stockist or retailer looking at what's currently stocked within their stores at the moment and just seeing would my dolls be a good fit for their store um will it create the uh, attention or the uh, awareness that we're looking for um so yeah so that that's literally part of our daily activities is we'll look at um toy uh, toy magazines so we look at toy world quite a lot we'll go into the internet we'll do research um and then we'll look for stockists and then we'll approach them directly either via instagram um or we'll reach out to them via email or even just a simple phone call um i think sometimes 
sometimes we forget the basics of uh, ne uh, networking and, you know, creating that relationship and just picking up the phone and calling somebody and having a conversation is just as powerful as using social media. Um, so, yeah, that's that's really what we do. That's, and you're right, it is really nice because so if you, I know even with our friends and family, sometimes it's so easy not to pick up the phone. So I can see that that probably would go down well. Yes, yes. And I think sometimes they're taken aback because they think, oh, they called me. But I think what I had to remember is a lot of the, so my stockists are a mixture of old and new. So some of them, you know, they've been running these uh, either gift stores or toy shops for many, many years. So they've seen, they've gone through the whole cycle. And so they're very used to how things used to work. And I think they appreciate, you know, that one-to-one -one, um, connection as opposed to, um, you know, an email or an Instagram. Because sometimes, I mean, I met somebody on sat uh, on Saturday and um, he said to me, I'm going to, he said, I'm going to Insta you. And I said, what does Insta me mean? Because I don't know. This is something new to me. Um, but, you know, he said, you know, he'd had to adapt to how things are going at the moment, but he very rarely checks his emails. He doesn't do it. He just doesn't know how to do it, but he will check his text messages, for example. So I think it's just understanding um, your stockist, your audience, and the right method of communication that will best suit them. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And you mentioned earlier on that you were at the baby show earlier this year when you launched your latest soul. So how how did that go? Yeah, so that was that actually the launch. So we launched in February this year. Um, when I tell people, they're like, "What?" Yeah, we. Uh, so we, or I, sh I should say, we did a soft launch in December to see if the business model really worked. So we did a soft launch in December, and that's when we thought, "Yeah, this is really, really going to do well." And then we did the official launch. We registered uh, the business and did the official launch in February, and the baby show was in March. Um, and it, it was it was scary to go into a big environment like that um, because I think for us it was a true test of whether do we have something um, that will relate to a varied audience. Um, and I'm not sure if men, many of your um, your uh, members know, but obviously the Baby Show is uh, an annual event. So there's four that happens throughout the year. We chose to go to the one in Excel. Um, which happened in March and it's a three-day event and it's really targeted towards um, new parents um, or existing parents. So you come, you can get to look at some of the products that you normally see online, you can get to test it um, and then you can meet companies like us who are brand new into the industry. Um, but we got a really good reaction um, and that's what made us realise that actually, although our dolls are black and, uh, black and brown dolls, it's not just for the black and brown community. It's for everybody. Um, we had a lot of parents who were not from the uh, a black heritage who came up and said, I want my child to be able to know that there are differences. Um, and at the moment, my child only has dolls with blonde hair, blue eyes. Um, and we want them to know that there is a, uh, you know, there's a variety. And in fact, their best friend is, is um, a black girl or their best friend is an Asian girl. And, you know, so for them, it was really, really great and refreshing to see. Um, and then for the parents who are from a black and brown community, it was like, oh my God, where have you been? 
Um, I've been looking for something like this for so long. I really want my daughter or my son to see himself or herself in a positive light. Um, and I and this is just, you know, everything. And so that really cemented the idea. And then from then we've just been going from strength to strength. That's amazing. And I also, I didn't pick up on this earlier, but I was actually thinking that even having boy dolls, I think, is is another difference. Because I remember my son being two and wanting a baby doll and wanting a boy baby doll. And I was really surprised that, and this was like a a hard but baby, but I was actually surprised at how little choice there were of male baby dolls at the time as well. That really surprised me. I, I assumed that dolls were of both genders but yeah no I mean it's funny that you should say that because when we we launched it uh, at the baby show and I think the issue you have is is, um, there's a lot of stereotypes so you know you know as soon as somebody is having a boy or they they find that the gender is going to be a boy immediately they're either linked to playing with dinosaurs trucks um you know it's everything is already kind of paved out for them um and we had a lot of really interesting conversations with not mums funny enough but dads so a lot of dads were very hesitant to have their child playing with a doll because they saw it as a doll. Um, and we, you know, we spent a lot of time. And that's why I think sometimes these shows are really great, because when you're if, if they were online, they would never have this interaction. Um, but face to face, you're able to really break it down to them why it's important that whether it's a boy or a girl, that they have the they have access to be able to um, have imaginative play with a doll that represents them, you know, that that looks like them, that is also a boy. Um, but yeah, that there's there's a lot of stereotypes, a lot of the dads were very against, no, I only want my son to be playing with a car and I don't want my son. And you know, the mums were like, no. And some dads gave in and some dads were very headstrong and you know, were like, no, it's 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 not gonna happen. And I think because of that, that has influenced manufacturers. Um, and toy makers out there as well because they immediately you say a doll and it's linked to a girl Um, and so for commercial reasons the industry has focused more of its time producing girl dolls um, as opposed to boy dolls um, because it just doesn't want to go through that whole convincing I I guess if if you want to put it that way Um, but we when, when we released our girl dolls our mums were upset they said you know but where's the boys I want one for my son and and that's what really pushed us to um we weren't going to release a boy doll until probably towards the end of the year um you know for financial reasons because we were you know we had a lot a lot of stock um and you know we did our focus groups and they said no we want our boys um and they are doing so well that's really good to hear. And I do wonder whether, and I, I guess that possibly things will start to shift over the next 100%, couple of years. Yeah, 100%. And that's that's the reason why we actually created Sky as well, because Sky is our gender neutral doll. Uh, and we found that actually when we was at the baby show, um, you know, 
some of the dolls that we had there were very much girly fries. You know, they were wearing pink um, or purple, which, you know, typical kind of girly colours. And parents were coming back and saying, I, I'm actually tired of seeing pink <laughs> and purple. I want to see a different colour. I want to see a neutral colour. And so we decided to come up with Sky, which was gender neutral. So it didn't matter whether, matter whether it was a boy or a girl. It was just a baby doll um, and they could play with it. Um, and I think that, that really intrigued um, parents as well. And they were really happy about that. Um, and, you know, that's, we haven't released it yet, but we've got it on pre-order um, and that's receiving a, a lot of interest as well. That's really good to hear. And so are these shows out of, in, just purely out of interest for anyone listening, considering doing, doing something similar, are they also good ways to find stockists? Do you get buyers and people like that attending? Yeah, you get a few. So usually on day one, so Fridays are usually, so it's usually Friday, Saturday, Sunday um, for the big trade shows. Um, so Fridays are usually meant for um, your influencers, your social media influencers, your stockists. So it's typically more of a quiet day. So you get to have really good conversations. Um, I think it's also great because you get to meet other baby brands um, or other brands within your marketplace um, that you could potentially collaborate with. And I think that's something that people also forget as well. That I mean, we, we recently did a collaboration with a food um, a baby food brand called For Aisha. Um, and it went really, really, really well. Um, you know, we are marketing to the same audience. We just have two different products. So it was, you know, why don't we just come together, do a campaign, do a giveaway um, and then get um, uh, followers from both of our audiences following each other and then gain more followers that way. Um, and so, yeah, if, if you do decide to go to any of these events, I mean, do your research first. I would always say attend one as just a normal person. So I had attended the baby show when I was pregnant with my uh, with my son um, so I knew what it was about um, I knew what to expect um, and so if I hadn't have done that I'm not too sure if I would have gone forward with it um, so I'd say always do your research first as well before because they can be quite expensive <laughs> so uh, you want to make sure that you know it's going to have the right audience for you um, and it also allows you to decide what products you're going to take to the show and you know how your marketing is going to be as well that's really great advice thank you I have another question specifically about toys if that's okay because obviously toys particularly if they've been given to newborns have to meet certain I don't know how to say it, requirements legislation they need to be certified basically don't they yeah um how it, how do you go about that process and is that is it like really hard um, I'm asking because I feel like it's it's something that can sometimes intimidate people Stephanie you yeah. don't seem like someone who does get intimidated which is great <laughs> but um I've, it would be great to have a just hear a little bit about how you went about that and what your experience was because I think there yeah. might be people listening who would really find that reassuring so again, it's it's a lot. It's, it's it's research. So it's looking at other toys which are in the market. So we we actually went onto Amazon first. So we know that to trade on Amazon, 
you really have to have everything in order um, because or even to trade in a big retailer um, because they're putting themselves at risk of trading your product. So they need to make sure that it's passed all the relative checks. So we looked at um, we weren't ready for Amazon when we first launched. We're on Amazon now, but we looked at what are the requirements that Amazon want from um, a manufacturer, from a from a brand, basically, and it was a long list. And we said, okay, let's let's start targeting to make sure that we have all of this. So once we knew what was required, we then went to the manufacturer and said, this is what required. Do you meet this? Can you get this? Um, and they literally started ticking off the boxes. So we learned that in order for our product to be to trade within within Europe, they need to be CE certified. They also need to be UKCA as well. Um, and we also know that because of the market, um, the audience, so the age range that we are targeting, they need to uh, be fully um, tested for any toxins uh, within the dolls as well. So from the fabrics that are being used, that are being used. Um, and so, again, our manufacturers were really great because they had all these testings and they had all the requirements and um, they kind of made our jobs a little bit easy. So we didn't have to go and look, um, get, a, you know, an EA, EAN or SKU um, codes that was all provided for us. And that was part of the cost of them um, producing the dolls for us. So I guess maybe we we pay a slightly marked up rate for our dolls because it includes all of those checks. Um, but if you were somebody who makes the dolls yourself, so obviously we design our dolls, but we don't hand make them ourselves. It's handmade um, by our manufacturers. Um, you would need to, you know, have this list and then, you know, it, it will show you if you go into gov.uk, it actually tells you that to trade, whether it's a doll or any type of product, what you need to have. Um, and then it's just following those steps. That's really helpful. Thank you. And I think you're right. that If you're working with a manufacturer, presumably they should be doing all of these things already in order to manufacture toys exactly. in this example. So they should be, exactly. you, I mean, it would be worrying if they weren't up to date on the legislation, <laughs> isn't it? So, so I think that's good to hear. But you're right. If, if you're making your products another way, then yeah, you definitely need to be clear on what's required. Yes, exactly. Um, I'm going to change subject just a tiny bit, that's okay, Stephanie, because I want to talk really quickly about sustainability, because I saw on your website that you do have a sustainability policy and there are certain things you're doing, and I just thought it'd be nice to talk about that a bit. Yeah, of course. Um, so for us, um, you know, part of our research and developing the dolls is, you know, we're quite big on sustainability. We really wanted to make sure that the dolls were eco-friendly as well. Um, and it was important that the dolls were made in a environment um, which supported, you know, equal rights, equal pay. Um, and so these are all the things that, you know, when we were looking at manufacturers that we took into consideration. So I guess it, it may have made our journey of finding the manufacturer who's producing our dolls a bit longer because we wanted to make sure that it passed all of this, but it was very important to us that it contains those elements uh, as well. Um, 
in terms of how the dolls are produced. So the, the dolls are made using uh, polyester, but we use recycled polyester fillings for the for the inside. And then in terms of packaging, we're very conscious in terms of recycling. So we make sure that all of our packaging is biodegradable. Um, and that was one of the reasons why when we created the dolls, we made sure that everything was engraved. So all the features are engraved. We don't use plastic um, uh, eyes or, um, or yeah, we don't use any anything plastic on the dolls um, because they they don't decompose as well. Um, uh, basically, um, so we're trying our best. I mean, moving forwards, obviously, as a small business, sometimes it's hard to really utilize everything when it comes to trying to be sustainable because then your your price range just pushes higher and higher and obviously we want the doll to be marketed at a price that is affordable for most families um or the majority of families um but moving forward it's definitely something that we want to continue to push um and we're hoping that we may be able to launch dolls which are fully recyclable um and biodegradable um and we can use materials that are you know a lot more friendly to the environment as well that's amazing thanks for explaining all of that um i love how clear you are on everything that you that you want i should also point out to everyone that we're recording this in very very early june and you launched in february so you've come you've done a lot (laughs) thank you thank you I think I think it's because I'm just so passionate you know it's it's myself and my husband who run the business just so passionate about it um and I just think there's such a you know there's a gap in the market uh for it and you know I think when you're when you release something and your audience or your customer and your client base continuously tell you how appreciative they are that it's there. It just pushes you, drives you to to continue. And uh, we we just have so many big plans for the brand moving forward. That yeah, for us, you know, every time I talk about it, I have a smile on my face because I'm just excited about how the future is going to look. Oh, good, and so you should be. I think it is really exciting. And I've got one final question, Stephanie, if that's okay. Which okay. is, what was your number one piece of advice be for other product creators? Oh, where do I start? I think I mentioned some of this earlier on. So um, use your environment around you. So your friends and your family. Um, you know, when when I first launched a product, I reached out to friends and family just to get their gist on it. What do you think? Um, I actually sent out um, probably about 10 to 20 dolls actually to friends and family for free. Um, I just wanted their children to be able to play with it, just get that feedback from them, um, whether good or bad, just let me know. Um, and I got a, I got a mixture of feedback. I had people say, oh, it's too expensive, or um, can it do this, or can you do this colour, can you do this hairstyle? And, you know, some you can some of the feedback you're able to take on board and obviously you can um, change it or reflect it in your end product and some of them you know sometimes you have to park it for now I I never say disregard it um, because that again feedback is feedback it may not be feedback that you want to hear right now um, but it's feedback so maybe all you need to do is just park it for now and then in the future 
um, look into it at, at some point. So I guess for me, anybody who's considering launching a product, use your um, community or your family around you, your friends and family, just to get an idea of what you know what they think about the product um uh, and then I think I don't think you're ever going to be certain about the decision that you're uh, uh, that, that you've made I don't think you're ever going to be uh, concrete but I think as much as you can if you have a plan try and stick to the plan as much as possible try not to deviate it's very easy to try and have your fingers in lots of pies because you're just eager to kind of um get everywhere I mean somebody said to me you know if you're going to market choose two main marketing mediums and focus on it because there's so many social media marketing um, uh, avenues there's so many paper you know I said to somebody the other day do you do do you read blogs and they said blogs what's a blog it's all about podcasts now it's like oh well (laughs) Um, so I think don't try and do too many things all at once at the same time because you'll either burn yourself out or you won't be able to um, fully present yourself in the correct way within that medium. So try and just, you know, pick a select few, focus on that. Um, and not obviously, hopefully, if things go well, you can then develop a team and then obviously, you know, it then becomes a full-blown um, business moving forward so I think that those would be my two key things you use your uh, audience around you um, and just try and remain focused and not try and do too many things at time and I guess I'll, sorry, I'll, I'll add one more be patient <laughs> that's a really have good patient. advice yeah have patience it may not happen today or tomorrow I mean we do a lot of PR we send a lot of PR press releases and for every 50 we send out we may get one response um but just keep going it doesn't mean that um it's the wrong method it just means that that person doesn't need your product right now but they may need it at some point um so just keep going have patience and keep doing just keep going strong that's such good all, all of it everything you said i completely agree with stephanie thank you so much thank you thank you for everything you've shared Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening right to the end of this episode. Do remember that you can get the full back catalogue and lots of free resources on my website, vickyweinberg.com. Please do remember to rate and review this episode if you've enjoyed it and also share it with a friend who you think might find it useful. Thank you again and see you next week. If you've been inspired to start a podcast in 2024, I really recommend my podcast host, Captivate. Captivate were my top pick when I started podcasting four years ago because of how easy it was for a complete novice like me to get started. I've stuck with them for the last four years because Captivate is still really simple to use. They keep adding great new features like the ability to share ads like these and they've just been really reliable. So when you're ready to start your own podcast, you can use the link in the show notes and get a free seven day trial with Captivate.